0: Good evening, beloved. Trust that you are doing well. Hopefully, all things considered. Hopefully, you have a copy of God's Word there in front of you, and you can make your way to Romans chapter 4. Uh, we uh, want to continue to make our way through the book of Romans, and so uh, tonight we'll be considering Romans 4, 1 through 8, and, and discussing the idea of faith alone. So, Romans chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 8, let's read God's Word to His people. What then shall we say? that Abraham our father was found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness, Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Let's go ahead and pray together this evening. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it continues to minister to us and remains relevant for us regardless of the time and season that we find ourselves we also thank you for the means and modes to be able to continue to make our way as a college ministry through uh, the book of Romans and we and we pray that as we, we zero in on the uh, conclusion of the first major section here that we would just have eyes to see, ears to hear and a heart to believe your word and that we would that we would press into the reality of what your word communicates about how we are saved. So we do pray in the moments to come that you would be uh, honored and, and pleased by what is said and done. So be with me now as I preach your word. I bring recall to my mind um, what I've studied and I pray that you would help us uh, to to learn as a result of it. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. You know, consistency in life is, is a hard thing to find. And there's a moment that kind of stands out um, from my childhood uh, that really made very little sense at the time that it happened. But then as time goes on, you kind of fill in the the blanks and you begin to understand things more clearly. Um, I can remember it happening. I was about five years old. Uh, My dad called me into the, the family room. Uh, and and we were going to watch baseball together. Now, in our family, that is not an odd thing to have happen. Um, As a small child, this was not out of the ordinary. Uh, What was out of the ordinary, however, was uh, that particular night, uh, we were watching baseball together, and um, the the Baltimore Orioles were on the television, which was an odd thing in our house. Um, My dad is a huge Cincinnati Reds fan, and so we primarily watched National League Baseball, Cubs, Cardinals, Reds, that's what normally played. And so so five-year-old, you don't think anything of it. Hey, we're watching baseball as a family. This is a normal activity. What was strange, though, was in the fifth inning of that baseball game, kind of everything stopped. It was the middle part of the fifth inning, and and the crowd erupted and cheered, and a particular player, and it just seemed to go on forever. And I remember thinking, this is very strange. And eventually, though, as all five-year-olds who have no frame of reference for time it eventually passed, and the only thing that really stood out to me is it seemed like my dad was very moved by the moment, and I couldn't understand why. There was nothing really significant that happened in my uh, mind, but I do remember thinking, this is really strange. I, I've watched a lot of baseball, and this has never happened before. Well, come to find out what, as you backfill that in and as time would continue to go on, uh, a few years later, uh, that same ball player who was honored in that moment uh, another day happened where he didn't play. And it was at that moment of being uh, a little bit older and, and seeing this come to f- fruition that I, I realized Cal Rookin Jr. had gone all of these days without ever missing a day of work. And it was kind of a, a big deal at the time. Um, it, was, it still is as you look back on it to understand, here's somebody who broke a record for the, the most consecutive days of, of going and playing baseball. And it was a huge deal. But when you're five, you don't really understand all of the implications. You don't understand what's happening to you. It's just a really weird moment that happens. And the reason why I share that is even the consistency that happened with one baseball player playing the most consecutive days in a row and breaking a very large record. What is shocking about that is that it ultimately will come to an end. It ultimately did come to an end. And so when we look around the world for consistent things, things that we can count on, consistent things that we can kind of bank our life around, uh, we run out of things because ultimately we're humans and, and they fall short. What the Apostle Paul does for us in this particular text is he paints a picture of how we as believers and as humans can look at God and see how he has been consistent in the way that he approaches how humanity ultimately, comes to know him. And Paul wants to unpack this to to show that that God's witness is a consistent line of testimony, that God hasn't changed, he's not changing, and he will never change. And that gives the Christian hope and hopefully points the unbeliever of something that they can't find anywhere else. And so tonight, really just in two ways, we're going to see how Paul unpacks for us in this particular text what it looks like uh, for God to be consistently faithful in the way that humanity comes to saving faith. And so the first thing that we see is God's consistent witness. So God's consistent witness. Let's look again at verses 1 through 4. What shall we say then? That Abraham our father was found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Paul here in these verses wants to make it even more clear that God's way of justifying humanity has always been by faith. We think about all of the passages in the argument up to this point where Paul has belabored the the fact that justification happens by faith alone. In fact, Many theologians will say justification is the the hinge doctrine of Christianity. That if you get justification wrong, uh, you'll uh, you'll ultimately get Christianity wrong because of the vital importance that it brings. And and so what Paul does here is he slows down in these eight verses to to really unpack that God is consistently been justifying people according to faith alone. Look again at verse number two. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So, so Paul wants to take us back. He, he wants to take the Jewish reader back to the patriarch Abraham and to say, look at Abraham's life. Here's a, a man who follows God. Here's a man who gives his life to God. And let's ask the important question, was Abraham made right? Was he justified by his works? And Paul wants to take believers even further back to this foundational belief of faith alone. The issue, of course, here that we see is if Abraham was saved by his works— he has something to boast about, just not before God. He has something to boast about in himself. He has nothing to boast about in God because if his works truly were what justified him, if his actions and attitudes and the way in which he carried himself were the justifying agent, then Abraham had a place where he could boast about himself and turn away from boasting in God. So, If Abraham had been justified by his works, then realistically, pride becomes a a major possibility for Abraham because he's the saving agent. But notice what the Apostle Paul says next. And and this is important for us as Christians to slow down and and read this. He He says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. And then in verse three, he asks this important question: "For what does the Scriptures say?" Now, the Apostle Paul could have opened the floor and, and began to take opinions, to, to begin to say, "Well, sir theologian, what do you think? Uh, Pastor, what do you think? Uh, Thinker of the day, what do you what do you think?" Remember, Paul is. Uh, we, we know from, from the book of Acts, he's interacting with high-level thinkers and philosophers. And the Apostle Paul could have turned at this point and said, let's have a, ro- a roundtable discussion. Let's invite the brightest minds to the table. And let's ask, based on what we know, how was Abraham made right? But that's not what the Apostle Paul does. He says, for what does the scripture say? See, Paul is modeling for us as we think about theological conviction, as we think about how we know what we know, as, as we think about where does the Christian ultimately go for their answers about what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ. Paul models for us, we go to the text of scripture. We don't go to human reason. We don't go to human logic. We don't go to, to man-made opinions or facts. Where we do go is to the inerrant, infallible, unchanging Word of God. And so the Apostle Paul really models for us in this particular text what it looks like to consider God's Word and to really understand what it's saying. This is important. A lot of Christians are tempted when they're asked a theological question, whether it's by a skeptic, whether it's by someone who's hostile towards the things of of God and His Word, whether it's uh, by a friend, to immediately go to a theological conviction or answer. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. We certainly want to have good, robust theological discussions, but they always have to be framed by God's Word. And they always have to be uh, supported by God's Word. So when we um, uh, are stumped by a question, we might find ourselves, honestly, if we're first-time readers of this particular text, stumped by the question, is Abraham justified by his works, or is Abraham justified a different way? We look at the Old Testament, there is no Jesus Christ there in the scene. How is Abraham justified? And the Apostle Paul models, again, for us, we look to Scripture. So when we find ourselves struggling, and I'm sure, like me, there have been times where you've been posed a a question about religious or spiritual things that you don't know the answer to. And our natural tendency can sometimes be to regurgitate what we've heard from other people, but we really don't know why we believe that. And the Apostle Paul helps us to, to be reminded of the fact that when that happens, our, our need, our great necessity must be to rely on the scriptures. So what's the answer to the question ultimately? Well, the Apostle Paul says, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. This is what is so helpful. The apostle Paul says, Abraham, one of the great patriarchs of, of the faith, we, we read about him throughout our Old Testament and what a hero of the faith he is. He's not perfect, but he is a hero. He, he obeys and follows God He's still sinful, but notice the way that he's justified. He's justified the exact same way that you and I are, by faith alone in the promise Messiah to come. His his faith is looking forward to the promise that there will be a, a Messiah who comes to make all things right. That faith alone is what is justifying Abraham. Paul resoundingly answers what can commonly be a misconception that Old Testament saints are saved in a different way than New Testament saints are. And that is just not true. The, the saints of the Old Testament, we think of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Think of David. Think of other great heroes of, of the faith. Think of Jeremiah, Isaiah. Think of the prophets of old, Hosea, Obadiah. I think of all of those great uh, minor prophet names in, in the back of our Old Testament. I think of Zechariah. I and mean, we think of even Jonah and Micah. What, how are they all justified and made right? Well, the Apostle Paul's argument is they're justified by faith alone. They believed God and it was accounted to them as righteousness. And I think what is really helpful here as we kind of unpack this even a little bit more clearly, is is the little statement that is made in in verse 4. Now, to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. It's an interesting uh, sentence that the Apostle Paul puts forward for us to think about. To him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt we need to be reminded again, this is a reminder that for those of us who who struggle with self-sufficiency, who, who would believe themselves to be able to struggle in some sort of way and work their way into salvation, the Apostle Paul is reminding them, your works are not grace, but debt. The, the, another way of communicating this would be, Your works are not grace, but just more filthy rags. To to connect again to an Old Testament uh, metaphor that our righteous, our, our supposed good deeds, our supposed good works are as filthy rags, the Old Testament tells us. And so the Apostle Paul helps the reader, helps the listener to understand this, that those who would find themselves still, even after hearing that Abraham believed in God, And it was accounted to him for righteousness that they could somehow work their way into being saved. The Apostle Paul's message is, that's actually not grace, but more debt. So we we want to pause here at this moment and ask ourselves, if, if and where are we finding our hope? Is it in our works? And you say, David, you're asking this question week in and week out. We get it. We're saved by faith alone. But the problem with that statement, we get it, this is how we're saved, is most people don't live in light of this. Even Christians who have been justified by faith alone sometimes find themselves trying to earn their continued grace from God or their continued righteousness that's imputed to their account. They, they, they sin and they just immediately run and start trying to charge up spiritual benefit on their behalf. I've sinned. I've made a mistake. So I'm going to read eight chapters a day from God's word. I'm going to listen to a hundred sermons this week, and I'm going to make sure that I'm extra nice to people as if somehow even though they've been justified by Christ, even though God looks at them and and has imputed Christ's righteousness onto their account, they're still trying to to figure out a way to earn their salvation or to earn their continual salvation. And so I would just press on us tonight to think about where is our hope coming from? In, In the moments that we find ourselves stressed about sin, In the moments that we think about what it looks like to follow Christ, in the moments where we're declaring what it looks like to follow after Christ, is our hope built on Christ's righteousness or is it built on something else? And then I would ask this question. So here's the consistent witness in in God's word that humanity has been justified by faith alone from the beginning. And I would ask this question. I'm going to ask this question continually to you. Have you been justified by faith alone in Christ alone? Meaning, have you come to the realization that you are a sinner, believe in who Jesus Christ is, and and trust in him, repent of your sins, and believe? Uh, uh, Don Carson is so helpful when we think about this concept of justification by faith alone. He helpfully articulates this statement. It is not the quantity or quality of your faith that saves you, but rather the object of your faith that saves you. And I think there are a lot of people who are trying to look for different objects to save them or are looking to faith as an activity to save them. But the consistent witness of the scriptures, is that the object of your faith is what saves you. And that object must be Christ, the promised Messiah, the one who was promised in the Old Testament, fulfilled in the New Testament, and is reigning and ruling at the right hand of God, even as we speak and listen to this sermon. So we we first see a consistent witness, but then we also see, second, a continual blessing. Look at verses five through eight. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So notice what Paul is saying here. The truth that we've been justified by faith alone is a continual blessing in our lives. The fact that we don't have to get up today, I don't have to get up today, and go seek out a way to make myself right before God. But that one singular activity, followed by a lifetime of outworking of works, and I'm going to unpack that in just a moment, is what justifies us. Meaning that, as James will say, The the way in which we live gives evidence to the justification that's already happened. So we don't view salvation as a one singular get out of hell free card moment that I can go and live how I want to, but the continual blessing of Christ making me right with God motivates, spurs me on, and I live for him continually with his blessing of justification rattling around in my brain as I think about why i should be thankful today it is a blessing to not have to work for our salvation but rather to trust in christ alone for salvation the idea of not ever knowing have i done enough am i good enough am i truly saved is all man-made religious tactics that will keep us from the true reality of knowing and being assured of our salvation it's one of the reasons why we're going through the book of First John. In addition to to preaching through the book of Romans, which um, lays out for us clearly how one can be saved, the book of First John helps us to have assurance of that salvation, to be confident that we walk with the Lord and we know Him, and that uh, to, to quote John, that we are His sheep, and as a result of being His sheep, we know His voice, and 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 we have assurance that we are truly Christ followers. But that assurance and, and the, the, the note of being blessed to be justified, notice the language that Paul uses in verse 5. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Notice what is necessary to be justified. A, a right view of yourself look at what Paul says, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. Have you come to that realization? I, I certainly have. And the longer that I read the, the, the Bible, the more convinced I am of my own, what John Owen would refer to as my own indwelling sin, the sin that still resides in me and the need to 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 fight against it and to, to labor against it and to work to, to put that sin to death. Paul reminds us, this is a blessing. We're ungodly. We don't deserve to be justified. Yet God does justify us on the basis of our faith. And then he continues on in verse 6 and says, just as David also described the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Again, just reminding us, your righteousness is imputed not by works which you have done, but it's through the work of Christ and God imputing his righteousness on our, on our account and on our behalf. Two, two kind of things that, that come out as a result of David's blessedness and, and, and kind of this attitude of seeing justification as a continual blessing. I, I think first and foremost, looking at verse 7, we should feel the blessings of sins forgiven and covered by Christ. He says, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. How thankful and how expressive. We think about prayer, think about talking with God, think about our relationship with Him. How often, and if I'm honest, I struggle with this, but how often are we really thanking God for the fact that He covers our sins? I mean, our lawless deeds are forgiven. Our, our sinful actions, attitudes, thoughts, motivations are forgiven. And our sins are covered. Our sins are covered. And, and then he continues on. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Thinking about the the, the feeling that we have, the, the knowledge that we have rather, that God does not impute our sin on our account any longer, but those of us who have trusted in Christ alone, by faith alone, have righteousness rather than sin imputed onto our account, placed on our account. We we should be thankful continually. It should ebb and flow from all that we are, that, that God does not count us sinful, but counts and looks at us as righteous. I think initially coming to know Christ, we're overwhelmed by this. But the longer that we live in light of following Jesus Christ, the less we become overwhelmed with it. Because we get used to life as normal, we get used to going through the motions, we get used to the experiences that we have, and we, we take for granted righteousness that we could not earn. We take for granted righteousness we don't deserve. We take for granted the grace and mercy of God that we don't deserve. I was thinking about this, and and I couldn't help, and, and I wrote this down, and I hope it helps you. Christians should be people who are constantly talking and boasting in the salvation that God provides for us. This praise should be on our lips continually. You know, we find ourselves in unique and challenging times. talked with some students this week who said, trying to figure out how to navigate evangelism in the context of being kind of separated. And I think one of the ways that we can begin that process of explaining what Christ has done is the thankfulness for what he has done is on our lips continually. Not just in the way that he's provided material blessings, though those are great and wonderful, but in the genuine blessing that comes by being justified. That should be on our lips continually. That should be something that we praise God for regularly. That should be something we exult in and enjoy in and should come out of who we are. But if we're honest, we become complacent. We become used to what we've experienced. And so the way I would wrap up our time together this evening is asking you, have you been delighting in the blessing and thinking about the blessing that is yours in Christ, and, and, and what it means to have Christ's righteousness imputed to your account by faith alone. How does your thankfulness play out in the everyday today portion of your life? Are you thankful continually? And, and again, if we don't have anything to to praise God about physically in in our lives, though I think we do have a lot. And I would make the argument that especially those of us who live in the West have a lot to be thankful for. Even if we we didn't have any of those things to be thankful for, the fact that we know Jesus Christ as our Savior is something that allows for us to be thankful continually and, and resting in that blessing. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and are thankful for the the time that we can spend together and consider your word together. I pray that uh, tonight this has been helpful. In any way that it has not been helpful, Father, I I pray that for those who are listening, that you would just um, allow them to easily forget the the parts that are not from you. But, Father, that they would press into the reality of who you are. And for those who who might be watching and listening to this for the first time who don't know you, I pray that they would... uh, would feel that that conviction that only the Holy Spirit can provide of their need for you. So be with us now as we uh, continue our evening. I pray that everything that we say and do would bring glory to your name. It's in your Son's name we pray these things. Amen.